Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 116. If you like Terraforming Mars, try dot dot dot. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Welcome, everybody. I hope your international tabletop day was fantastic. Once again, a great day that we can celebrate in eventually kind of a style like the Super Bowl, right, Anthony? Same kind of thing? Equal? Oh, yeah. 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 No, I make we make a giant cake. Uh-huh. Looks like a looks like a deck of cards. <laughs> My son runs around cheering for Caverna. OK, I'm losing this, but <laughs> go with me here, man. Stay with me. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's just not the Super Bowl, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I once again, I think it's. I mean, what a great gift. International Tabletop Day that actually hit the world, you know, so to speak. And to give a little more legitimacy to board gaming and this wonderful hobby that we share together. And actually seeing stores post for these events and have something to kind of draw people together. And even Barnes & Noble getting in on the deal, which is fantastic. So speaking about board games, let's get on to some board games that not only did we play on International Tabletop Day... But games that we want and games that we're looking forward to playing. Anthony, what is on your acquisition disorders this week? Okie doke. I have some Caverna stuff. <laughs> okay, so I, I have been talking a lot about A Feast for Odin the last few months. But yes. I still really, really, really quite enjoy Caverna. It is harder to get out, so I don't bring it as much. But I don't know about that at all. Every time you bring Feast for Odin, I tell you to get out. So Oh, come on. Uh, get out of here with the puzzle game. You still gave it a play. Uh, it's a play. It's a play. <laughs> it's better than Converno. I'm sorry, what? What? Sorry. Whoa. Who said that? Those are fighting words, son. It's Daniel from the South. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but Caverna might hit the table a little bit more because there's a whole bunch of new content coming for it. The first piece of news is actually a little bit older. This is the fan expansion race packs, which have actually been on BGG now for... Ooh, a little over a year, not quite a year. I don't know when this was originally posted, but put up by user Llama Beast, Alex Wilbur, on BoardGameGeek. And there's two packs of races, I think 12 total, which is all fine and good. There's a lot of fan expansions for a lot of our favorite games out there. I don't tend to get into them because I don't like printing and cutting and gluing. I do plenty of that with my kids. But this one appears to be in development now with Mayfair and Lookout. And they're saying, you know, if we can get these balanced, we want to release them. So we might actually have variable player powers and races for Caverna sometime in the near future, which I think would be awesome. Um, I think it would totally draw me back into the game and add some much needed variability to set up and getting started. And while the game has so many options, like you're never going to do the same thing twice, adding even more options on top of that can only make it better, right? The other cool Caverna thing on the radar is a two-player version. It's Rosenberg. We all know how he likes his two-player games. So he is working on Caverna Cave versus Cave. And basically, you'll just be working, you know, there's each player has two dwarves to start, a small little excavation. You'll play over eight rounds instead of like the 
whatever, 17, 27, whatever it is in the full game. And you're basically just trying to build out a living space in this mountain, um, constructing buildings and rooms, etc., uh, digging for metals. So it seems like we're getting rid of the farm side, kind of shrinking it down a little bit, making it a little more straightforward, very much similar to what Agricola, All Creatures Big and Small did, streamlining the game a lot and making it kind of an efficient, fun way to play for two people. I think it's supposed to take like 45 minutes. So Agricola, All Creatures Big and Small is great, and it's a really good way to play that two players. And Caverna, the full game with two people, not so great. So I'm excited for this one too. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I was so surprised and happy to see this image on Board Game Geek. I was like, yeah, because Agricola, Creatures Great and Small is fine. It's a fine game, but this looks like actually a really fun, engaging game where you're actually able to build. So I'm really excited about that and excited about the possible expansions for Caverna. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, here's hoping that they can make it work. <laughs> From what it sounds like, they're not super balanced and they're a little rough still, but I'll keep my fingers crossed. They're working on it. Yeah, I'll pick that up immediately just to be able to add a little bit more theme and asymmetrical gameplay to a game that I already love is outstanding. Now, the game that I want to talk about is the New Days of Wonder game or their yearly release game, Yamatai. Now, this is a Bruno Cathala game, and this game kind of fits in the Five Tribes between five tribes and between quadropolis. So it's not really that heavy. It's kind of a good solid gateway game as far as to like the Euro game kind of area. Now what you're looking at here is obviously a days of wonder production. So you're looking at a fantastic, beautiful map and you've probably seen some of these pictures. It's colorful. The iconography is very well detailed here uh, and the the pieces, the ships that come along with this, the buildings that come along with this, really solid, chunky pieces of wood. And basically what you're doing is you're trying to take over, it's kind of an area control as far as taking over these islands. So what you're going to be doing is choosing one of these different activation powers on the bottom left of the map that's going to give you a special ability and it's also going to give you typically a ship or ships. Now, these colored ships are then played as kind of like, think of thematically, they're sailing along. So you're going to place one ship, and then you're going to place another, 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 in order to meet the conditions that are necessary to build on that particular island. That initial game piece with its activation power and the resources that you get in ships, it's also going to determine your player order. So once those are picked over, you're going to put those on the side and you'll be able to see who gets to activate first. And what you're going to be doing is taking off these markers off the different islands in order to make them able to be built upon. But obviously you have to be careful because once those markers are off, then an opponent could go in there and jump in and build there. So you're going to be building kind of these shipping lanes. You're going to have all your ships lined up. And then if you meet the, the correct combination, you'll be able to build in that section and score those points. And then, of course, there are some special victory conditions that are typically stacked up top that are going to offer you victory points, going to offer you better benefits for money that you collect in the game. And just once again, it is trading in these ships to being able to control these different island areas to score victory points. It's a fairly simplistic gameplay as far as what actions you can take, but as far as who goes first, the activation powers in the beginning, and being able to purchase those final kind of those special scoring 
pieces at the end of the game, it adds to the complexity of the game. It's a beautiful release, and it's definitely something you should check out if you like any of Days of Wonders games. Yeah, this is so, so much on my radar. Uh, first pictures I saw of it at the beginning of the year, I'm like, I need to get this game. <laughs> I guess it got delayed a little bit here, but hopefully it's out soon. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it's already hit Europe, so it's probably only a matter of time before it gets here. So I would say I'll give you initial play just to figure out the weight as far as you're concerned. But I'm I'm pretty sure we're all going to be buying this eventually. All right, so that's all our acquisition disorders. Anthony, let's move on to some of our at-the-tables. What, what's been hitting your table this week? Okay, so this is a game that uh, it's actually hit a few times. I don't own it, and it's just one that a couple people in my local game group have, and we all enjoy, and for several reasons. It's Antique 2. So this is a Matt Gertz game, so you know immediately it's Rondell-based. There you go. And, and I, I would say this is probably my favorite of his Rondell games, and having played most of them now i haven't played a couple i haven't played hamburgum yet but I, I do like this more than navigador i think it's more streamlined a little quicker than concordia and i don't know it's just a lot of fun and the the game itself is very simple it's you're playing on a map it's area control to some degree but you're also trying to complete certain achievements what you'll be doing is on each of your turns you will move on this rondelle there are eight different spaces on it. You can move up to three at a time, so pretty familiar. Three of them are gather resources, so you'll gather resources from the cities on which those colors are located. Um, there's steel, gold, and marble. There are There's a science space where you can go and invest in science. There is a military space where you can build up your military. There's a temple space where you can build temples, etc. And the goal is multifold. You're trying to build out your empire, so you get uh, these little achievement cards based on what you've completed. So once you get a certain number of cities, you get a card. Once you get a certain number of ocean spaces that you control, you get a card. If you uh, destroy a temple in combat, you get a card. Uh, if you There's several different ways to get these. So you're going about, you're doing these things. You get to decide how you want to build up your engine, which resources you want to gather. Each resource is good for a different things. So steel is for building your military. Gold is for up, is for purchasing uh, science advancements. The uh, marble is for building temples, etc. And so you build up your your kind of little empire here, and then you spread it out as much as you can. And it seems like you'd fight a lot, but you really don't fight too much. You you really just end up fighting if a it's worth it and you're going to get points from it, or b if they're in your way and you need you need to get over there to get some more resources. The more people that play, the more fighting there will be because the board gets a little more crowded. You don't need a lot of points to win the game. I think the most that you'd ever need to get is 10, and that's with three players. Um, it can be as little as seven with six players, and that's about it. And the game moves super fast. Like all these Rondell games, you, you take your action, you move in the Rondell, you do your thing, you move on. So it's constantly flowing around the table, which I really, really like about these games. Uh, there's not a lot of sitting there and thinking and trying to do seven things. And I'd say it takes about an hour, hour and a half, depending on how many people know how to play. If you've played the original uh, Antique, it's not significantly different from that. There's a few specific changes that have been made. The original Antique came out in 2005. This one came out um, not too long ago. Um, the major difference is military is a little more expensive. The rules for actually fighting and conquesting things was, were pretty complicated before. They've been simplified a little bit. There are now neutral temples on the board, so to give something people can go out and destroy to get, to get victory points if they don't feel like fighting each other, a couple maps to choose from. Really, it's just the better version of the two games. It's not 
separate. It's the same game with some upgrades. So if this sounds interesting, don't get the first one, get the second one. It refines a lot of the stuff. As far as Rondell games, it's one of my favorites now. And I don't yet own this game. Like I said, you know, a lot of people have it in the game group, but it's a very strong play and I'm considering picking it up. Okay. Well, that sounds great. I've played Hamburg. It's a good game, but I'm really looking forward to playing Antique 2. That sounds a, a lot more challenging than his other games. So, yeah, it's simple yet challenge. Like it's the decisions are always very simple, but any like any area control game, you have to keep track of a lot of things. So mm-hmm. I really like that. Okay. Well, a game that's been back to my table in a brand new form is not Russian Railroads, but its additional expansion. We're looking at. German Railroads. Now, we've already talked about Russian Railroads. This has been a big favorite of Anthony and I's way back when. We love building rails and throwing those things down. And we've already talked about First Class on our last episode. Playing so much First Class has really kind of kindled my love and return to the railroads here. And in particular, what I'm looking at here is something a little different than I found when I first played Russian Railroads. Now, while I did enjoy that game a great deal, the first couple of turns each round were scripted and that was a problem because everyone was always going to take this movement and the second player was always going to take that and the third player was always going to take that and that kind of followed again and again and again that almost determined so much more of the game but playing german railroads actually offered a lot of diversity so we're looking at new boards which is always a good start here so we're looking at three different train tracks here And what's interesting about these tracks are not just the fact that it's going to give you different options, but what it's also going to do is it's going to give you opportunities to pick a track that's uniquely yours. So there's going to be spots on the first and the third track where you'll be able to take an action to actually get a small piece of track that's going to give you a number of different options. So maybe you take the track that gives you special bonuses. Maybe you take the piece of track that allows you to move faster or to get more people. So that's really engaging. I can actually build my own strategy instead of having to be locked down to a strategy that's just not working for me and thereby whoever gets to the right strategy first wins. Now, the middle track is pretty interesting too because towards the eighth spot, it's actually going to split. So that track is going to allow you to choose which destination you want to go. And then one way is going to give you more points where the other one's going to give you an an extra early upgrade. I remember when I played this game and I was getting to that point, I was having a hard time. I was, I was getting a little AP here as far as which way should I go here? I don't know what, where the scores are going to be. Maybe I need to go victory points, but getting that upgrade might be really, really helpful. But it's not just the board. In particular, what you're really looking forward to playing with German Railroads is the coal function here. By adding coal, you're doing a couple of different things. First off, you're shortening the game by one round, which is really great because the faster and tighter this game could be, all the better. And then it adds two new placement spots to the board. Now, this is really great. Now, if you're playing a, uh, more players, it adds an additional spot. But really what you're looking at here is allowing people to spend coal to be able to activate special abilities or to add these boiler men to your cards so that you'll be able to upgrade your trains, take special abilities, get new get new uh, workers for your areas, to lay new track and get new money. And 
it was just so different than the original game. And like you could say, it was almost running on rails, the first game. This game really kind of jumps off the rails, allows you to do different things. It's it's a it's a completely different game. And I can see where First Class later came from because this game really kind of clarifies um, the design greatly. Now, this game also includes, I know Anthony would be happy about this, it also includes a solo mode. So you can really challenge yourself to get the best possible score here. But once again, in all, the module board allows for customizations. You don't have to worry about those scripted turns originally. The coal adds so much more to the game. And it's just overall a fantastic production and revision here. And uh, this game is a buy for me. Finally, I could say buy German Railroads or buy Russian Railroads because German Railroads is an outstanding expansion. So glad this came out. <laughs> this was my uh, expansion of the year. The year it came out. This is so good. Love this. The solo version is not amazing. I just love that I can play the game solo. Yeah. Also, American Railroads, which is just a mini expansion on Board Game Geek. It's not as good as German Railroads, but you get a, yet another set of boards, plus a cool little stock thing. You don't get the custom tracks though, which I think is uh-huh. probably the best addition to this. If you're going to do anything, you do German Railroads with the German boards. You don't need the coal necessarily, although we like the coal. I like the coal, um, yeah. But but the German boards is the one thing that makes the game better. Yeah, I was really, I was always so torn when we played Russian Railroads. I'm just like, I like this, but ah, uh, and this really opens the game up. Yeah, I just like the feel of the game. Like when I'm done, I'm like, look what I did. <laughs> it's so much fun. But yeah, now it is. It, it's more variable. The, the snowballing feels like it has a purpose. You don't feel like you're, in, in Russian Railroads, yeah, like you said, if you feel fall far enough behind and you can't get first player then you like i don't know what can i do yeah you get a lot more options now which is much better yeah in the games i played of this everyone did a different strategy and came fairly close to each other at the end of the game and i really like to see that yeah that's a must yeah. so awesome all right so that's the games that are hitting our table now on to our feature review so for our feature review this week we're going to be talking about our fan favorite feature which happens to be if you like blank then try these other games. So for this week, we are talking about Terraforming Mars. Now, we've talked about this game a great deal, especially some of the problematic components about this game. But basically, in Terraforming Mars, what you're doing is you're heading up a corporation in order to build all of these different projects and take special actions to terraform or transform mars into an habitable planet so you do that by raising three of the global parameters so maybe by dropping an asteroid or dropping a moon on mars you'll be able to raise the heat maybe by adding algae onto some of the oceans you'll be able to raise the oxygen level and then by Using certain types of technology, you'll be added, be able to add additional oceans to Mars. So once you're able to add enough to these three different tracks, once they hit their max, then the game finally comes to an end. And you take a look at your cards that were moving this process around as you were building greenery tiles, as you were building cities, and as you were building special areas that were going to score you additional victory points at the end of the game. So what we're looking at here is tableau building. We're looking at area control. We're looking at things snowballing and triggering each other. We're looking at a number of different ways to play the game. We're looking at asymmetrical gameplay. There is so many different things to love about Terraforming Mars 
that we could take several hours talking about here. But we wanted to give you kind of a brief insight to if you are finding some great love in this game, what other games could you like that are very much related to this? So, Anthony, why don't you start us off on one of the great aspects of Terraforming Mars that you can find in other games. So for me, this is well-documented, Terraforming Mars is my favorite game from last year. And one of the reasons I picked it up, because I didn't know anything about it before I picked it up, is the theme, Mars. I, I love space exploration. I've been obsessed with it since I was a little kid. I had all the NASA stickers all over my bedroom. I love it. I love the idea of going out there and finding new things or just seeing it, especially because I'm never going to do that. I don't even like to fly. But uh, so this theme in particular, I really, really like. And this was the first of three Martian games I had my eyes on and one I hadn't even heard of before. So obviously the theme that I like or the piece that I like about this game is the whole idea of humans going into space and exploring something new. Not necessarily sci-fi, not necessarily space, but specifically missions from Earth to Mars and the moon and similar, you know, explorations. Now, the first game I wanted to talk about isn't really similar to Terraforming Mars, which is very science heavy. It's it's kind of a little bit goofier, a little more retro, um, but it is still very fun. You get a cool map and that's Mission Red Planet. Mission Red Planet is you've, you've got all these silly characters. You have these everybody has the same cards and you're going to choose which of those cards you're going to utilize these individuals that you have um, to take a certain action. And the whole goal of that is to launch your rockets, get your people to Mars and have control of certain areas on the planet when certain scoring rounds come up. And you can do all sorts of stuff to get your people in the right place, mess with other people. And that's basically it, that you're just trying to manipulate the situation to, to have the best scoring opportunities on the red planet. This cool modular Martian board, and I'm talking about the new Fantasy Flight version from two years ago, um, not the original version. Uh, you've got the, the moon out there, you can take control of as well. And it's just, it's a lot of silly fun. It's not very scientific although the map does have some you know martian landmarks on it but it is it's just fun it has the feeling of the theme and it is a little bit different than your typical euro all right so the second game here uh, is one i just picked up recently called leaving earth this is about the space race in the 1950s and 60s which was primarily between the u.s and russia really just only between the u.s and russia to do all the firsts you know russia got the first satellite out there the first you know man out there into space, but the U.S. ultimately um, got the big one when they landed a guy on the moon. And the game is all about that. It is a relatively complex, um, very in-depth, very mathy game, but it is so, so good as you basically build up a space program and build uh, devices and spacecraft that can go to the moon, to just Earth orbit in general, to Mars, to Venus, to, to Ceres. So, so cool, does such a good job, um, has a fantastic solo version. I think if you look at it on Board Game Geek, people say it's best with one, even though it is a one to three player game. Definitely one to check out. I'm not aware of any way to get this other than through the designer's website. And it looks like he orders the components and puts them in a box and wraps them in a like a, a tape. <laughs> but it is for what you get. The pricing is good, even though it's coming directly from the designer and it's just really really good i mean it's surprisingly good <laughs> i'm gonna do a bigger review on this one on um uh the other podcast here i think this week i think that'll go up so you can listen to that to hear a little bit more about the solo mode but definitely worth it if you like space math all that stuff another one that is about humans into space maybe not so much uh mars but the moon is a lunar architects this was a Kickstarter 
uh, last year, and it basically it's a reimagining of Glenmore, um, which is about the Scottish Highland, uh, and, but this one takes place on the moon. So you're building out different structures on the moon. It's you're going around this track, picking different tiles that you're going to place in your own tableau, and each of these tiles will you know generate different resources or give you victory points or trigger some action on other tiles. Um, it's very much a tile-laying, tableau-building game, which on its own is very fun. But thematically, it's also very cool. It comes with little spaceships, you got little crystals. The artwork's very good. It comes in this hexagonal grid um, instead of squares, which is what Glenmore came in. And the, the artwork and everything really evokes the feeling of space and kind of the pulpy nature of that 50s, 60s, 70s vision of what it would be like to live on the moon, which I think is pretty cool. And kind of it hits that same spot as Mission Red Planet, uh, in terms of aesthetics, and I really like that. And then the last one here, um, the fourth one I wanted to talk about, is about Mars, but it's really kind of a video game, <laughs> a board game, and that's Super Motherload. So Super Motherload is, uh, it's about going to Mars and drilling for resources. It's not really so much about terraforming, but the, the way it's set up and the way everything kind of comes at you and the things you're facing, is it's more like it's presented similar to like a to video game and structure i don't know it's really hard to describe but it's very interesting in how it takes kind of those video game tropes and moves them into the board game space and does it pretty well whereas some games don't do it quite as well uh, but while at the same time having kind of the this is more of the kind of far future martian look but equally so i like this one a lot too so those are four different games that utilize some aspect of humans going to space finding things fixing them building them up whatever it is and similar to terraforming Mars, exploring Mars and the moon. All right. Well, the aspect that I want to talk about when it comes to terraforming Mars is the terraforming part. So since Anthony covered the second part, let me go back and cover the first. Now, there are actually a lot of games that utilize this terraforming technique. What I really enjoy about this mechanic is the fact that you can not just take control of an area or an effect an area, but you're able to affect the ground underneath the area and actually change the composition, change the gameplay to that area to favor you as the player. Now, a number of games do this, surprisingly enough, and really effectively. So I'm going to go from light to heavy here. So the first game I want to talk about is Takanoko. Now, this is known as the panda game that goes around and eating bamboo. But what's really interesting and engaging about this game is you're actually building up these different bamboo fields by placing tiles in strategic locations in order to match victory point conditions. Then you're running channels of water to irrigate those areas in order to grow the bamboo that the panda will eat to score you victory points. So you are building the ground, you are watering the ground, you are growing the plants by sending the gardener over there. So terraforming, but on a light, fun, colorful panda scale. So that is Tokonoko. Well, what I want to talk about next is Ginkopolis. Now, this is a little bit of a different game because in the future, it turns out that the Ginkgo Bolova plant is so amazing that it revolutionizes civilization. But once again, you're doing something extremely similar where you have card play that's going to allow you to place tiles on the board to expand the areas to place your control markers in those areas and actually 
change and transform the areas around those areas. So by majority control and by snowball effect, as far as the chaining goes, as far as the areas that are next to each other and how the cards play out as far as being resources and actions, you have very much a solid, deep feel of the terraforming universe right here in Ginkopolis. Now, moving a little bit even heavier, we have to talk about the obvious game here, which is Terra Mystica. So what we're doing in Terra Mystica is you have one of these fantasy races that's using magic in order to terraform the land that it starts on to meet the land that's necessary and valuable to that race. Now, by flipping those tiles over and over and over and over again, you'll be able to match the territory that you need and then build your buildings there in order to score additional points depending on how they line up, how they're arranged, how they are next to or not next to other players' buildings. And once again, it allows that chaining effect to transform the gameplay here. So once again, if you're looking for terraforming, but in a mystical fantasy way, Terra Mystica is the way to go. And finally, if you're looking for the granddaddy of all terraforming games on the heavy side, then you're definitely looking at dominant species. Now, what we're looking at here, get one of the species, you could be the insects, you could be the mammals, you could be just so many different types of interactive species that are fighting for control of this land. Now, not only are you populating the land in order to score victory points based upon majority control and surrounding areas, but you're also affecting what resources and food are available in those areas. So by changing those little tiny tiles in between those hexes, you might starve out a particular species and that will no longer be able to flourish there, so it might have to run. Or you might be able to spread the glacier over to that area and wipe out that species completely. So terraforming at its kind of most primordial and most aggressive as far as a Eurogame's concerned, based upon what actions you take and what cards you play, well, you can't really do much heavier or much more dominant than dominant species. All right, so that is eight different games that utilizes the wonderful, interesting, and engaging mechanics of terraforming Mars. Whether it's the Mars space type of exploration, or it's the terraforming land-changing tile placement expansion. So those games you should check out. So Anthony, we've had a lot of questions of the day this week. What actually makes it up to the question of the week for us? All right, so this was a this was a fun one just because I knew a lot of people would have um, non-answers, um, as I have a non-answer. And I asked, how do you organize your game collection? So there's a few people who actually have a system, and most people like myself, we'll see. Willie said, I tend to group the games by purpose. I tend to have specific groups that different games will fit, family games, games for weekly work lunch, theme-heavy games, mechanics-heavy games. And then he pulls those together based on the similar groups in theming. Uh, James agrees. That's what he also does. Jolene says her husband and her just unpacked their games. They had been packed for a home remodel and had a few heated debates on this very topic. Uh, so they did a combination of mechanics and weight and then unplayed games went in their own section. A few other people mentioned shelf height, alphabetizing um, based on frequency of play 
And then about five or six people thought it was hilarious that anybody bothers to organize at all. <laughs> um, I'm kind of in that latter group. I've had organizational systems, and then I tend to just start moving stuff around as I remove games and replace them with new ones. And right now, it, yeah, not so much. Well, what I do is I arrange first by size just because that's what shelves kind of force you to do. And then I arrange by, I guess I would say type. So... Or maybe designer. I guess designer and type would kind of fit along that way. So I guess first would be size, then secondary would be type. So all my Euro games together, all my Ameritrash games are together, all my filler kind of small card games are together. And then I would probably say I would arrange it by designer. So all my Rosenberg games are together, all my Feld games are together. Sometimes that just happens that way because typically they go with the same size box. But typically, I like to kind of get a sense of what my collection is kind of building towards. Do I have all the Feld games? Do I have all the Rosenberg games? What, you know, do I have all the the uh, Bruno Cathala games? I'm not too sure. Let me take a look here, because typically, when I'm feeling like a Feld, I'm going to the Feld section. I really don't want to have to kind of rush around there. Way more thought than I've put in. Oh, you have no idea, my friend. You have no idea. <laughs> Man, if I start trying to pull those things down and organize them, my kids will start climbing on them. So I'm like, nah, they stay on the shelves. Door stays closed. I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, it's it's actually one of the, fu- the fun of collecting board games is that you can organize these things and just – it's almost like having a beautiful bookshelf full of books. It's like the beauty of the books is part of it. So I really enjoy doing that as well. So if you want to get your answers in on our question of the day, be sure to check out us on Facebook – Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek. Check out our Patreon account. A little little here and there could do a lot for our podcast. And be sure to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. And don't forget, we have our YouTube channel where you can get audio broadcasts and new videos posted all the time. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we will terraform a seat for you at the table. Ooh, that sounds hard. Don't worry, I'll make it soft, alright? I gotta I gotta shovel here. <laughs> it's my special ability. It's a reading rainbow. Take a look, it's in a book. It's in a real book. It's really confusing. It's really confusing. Oh, yeah. I can't understand anything. anything. (laughs) It says move the pieces here, and then move them there, and then stack them like this, and then throw them up in the air. It's a... Wait, what's a rook? (laughs) Nice. (laughs)
Get your friend on. Get your friend on the phone, Drew. We got a song for her. Yeah, we should. Have, that actually okay. be a really good one. I think we should that work on great. that. Yeah.